Good afternoon, KPFK, on your very own radio at 90.7 FM all over Southern California, out of Santa Barbara County, 98.7 FM, and of course, streaming for the world at kpfk.org. Hi, hello, and howdy, Michael Benner, with Intervision now till 2 o'clock this afternoon. Intervision is your program on spirituality and health, and... uh, on Friday, in particular, we describe it as a program about the development of consciousness. In other words, it's a deeper look at identity and motive. Yeah, in two words, you can really sum it up. It's uh, who are you really behind the roles you play. Most people have no idea, of course. And uh, why do you play the particular roles that you do? Today's topic, in fact, addresses that directly. I'm going to call today's program Smarter Than You Think, borrowing from a seminar I did years and years ago. I always thought that was sort of a cute title, Smarter Than You Think, meaning that your mental intelligence is only a fraction of what's available to you. And of course, that's the only thing you're taught in school, is that intelligence, IQ, your intelligent quotient, is an entirely mental endeavor. Of course, I think most people would accept that when we get emotionally worked up, upset or hurt, uh, we experience over-the-top emotions. That mental intelligence, balooey, goes crazy. I mean, goes off the map. We say things uh, that we can't believe we've said. Soon after, we regret having said some of the things that we may have said when we're emotionally worked up. We do things that, <laughs> in the same way, we later regret, oh my God, I can't believe I said that or I did that. And so, uh, when you talk about emotional intelligence, a lot of folks, well, they scratch their heads and say, well, how do I get intelligence out of my emotions? My emotions often stand in the way of logic and what little intelligence I may have available to me. And so uh, we'll talk today about EQ, emotional intelligence, and why uh, success in, in commerce, in business, in your job, and in so many other relationships 
is far more a function of your emotional intelligence than your mental intelligence. I believe someone's written a book recently about this called, um, what was the title? If you're so damn smart, why aren't you successful? And there's a lot of really smart people that are not successful because, well, simply they have poor emotional intelligence skills. They have bad interpersonal communication skills. They're not good at relationships. They don't know how to make eye contact. They have no idea how to empathize or be sincere. Um, they don't know how to glad hand, you know, or backslap, especially from a sincere place. They don't have, a lot of people don't know how to reveal themselves to other people necessary for good interpersonal relationships because they don't know what they're revealing. And I think that's where I'll begin today. In talking about our topic, smarter than you think, the nature of emotional intelligence, what is it, how do I get to it, and uh, and create a calm emotional state where I can develop not only my logic and my creativity, but my intuition as well. That's the topic for today. We'll do a little monologue here at the top and take your calls as we roll deeper into the program. Brooks will be our producer, and she'll take your telephone calls. I'll give the number a little bit later, so settle in. It's going to be a toasty one in Southern California today. I'll tell you, it's, uh, I was just talking to some of the news people about this uh, Flex Your Power uh, campaign. I don't know much about it, but I want to find out about it, and I want to alert you to it. If you begin to hear on commercial radio ads that say, today is an official Flex Your Power Day. They want us to... I don't know, use less power, put off the laundry and the vacuuming until tonight, maybe bump the thermostat up a few degrees. I think that's all smart, but we got a, as part of this uh, program, and again, I'm not sure the relationship of the state and the Public Utilities Commission to the utilities, except it's pretty incestuous. I'm not sure who's paying for these flex your power spots as if, as if we've got the power right we're going to flex our power as consumers to use less juice well again it's a good idea it's, uh, I think it's uh, almost goes without saying except never trust the energy companies and uh, the public utilities commission has been in bed with them for a long time I don't know about you or you live because we're all on different uh, we're all in the same grid, but different power companies. But I got an ad in the mail from my utility. I believe, it was, yeah, it's Southern California Edison, where I live, saying they're going to give me $10 in iTunes. Check it out. 10 bucks. Wow. Hold me back. $10 in iTunes credits if I let them put a governor on my air conditioner. Can you imagine that? Now, exactly how that works, I haven't figured out yet. That's why I was talking to some of the news people here at KPFK. Will they have the ability then to, well, they must have some ability then to remotely control your air conditioner or my air conditioner 
rather than do the rolling brownouts or the blackouts, rather than turn your power off altogether, all of which I think is a scam. When they start covering up the freezers and the grocery stores, uh, then maybe maybe you can talk to me about energy crisis. But as long as we've got tens of thousands of freezers standing wide open in the grocery stores, um, I'm not really convinced there's any kind of power shortage. It's like uh, I'll believe there's a water shortage when they stop watering the golf courses. And uh, in the interim, um, I'm suspicious of all of this, the water and the way that's regulated and uh, the power and how it's regulated. I, I, I just want to call your attention to that. Also, one more announcement before we uh, uh, get into our topic today, Smarter Than You Think, The Nature of Emotional Intelligence. As I made an announcement last week when uh, Gary Zukav and uh, Linda Francis were here, that after 14 years at KPFK, I'm going to bring the curtain down on this program, albeit very slowly. <laughs> okay. I have every intention of being here through November. Okay. And I'm very excited about it. We've got some incredible guests lined up for you. We're going to do some of the best programming we've ever done. As I call back some of the best guests I've ever had and say, you know, we're going to wind this thing up after 14 years on Friday afternoon. Used to be on Thursday night for many, many years. Uh, the last, I think, four or five years we've been on in the daytime. So come on back. That's one of the reasons we had Gary Zukov here last week. Got great response to that. And, of course, that's been podcast. So I want to remind you, you can pick up this podcast. Currently, it's absolutely free, as are most podcasts. And... Uh, all you have to do is go to iTunes. I think that's, you know, people say, do I have to have an iPod? No. Do I have to use iTunes to catch it? No. But uh, iTunes is such an easy way to do it. You can go to my website if you have some sort of podcatcher, and uh, that's theagelesswisdom.com. Click on podcast, and you'll see instructions on how to sign up. Or just go to iTunes, because if you have iTunes on your computer, it's a free download, Mac or PC. You sure don't need a, a little uh, iPod deal. You just have this program, InterVision, put right on your computer for you. And I think that's pretty slick. So want to make sure you get signed up for that. A lot of you have been in the last few weeks. We've had to expand the bandwidth, which is a good sign. We've got... Uh, seems that we've got uh, five or 6,000 people listening on podcasts now, which is very cool. So find out more at theagelesswisdom.com or just go to your iTunes uh, program, go to the music store, type my name in to the search box. One click and you're signed up. Program gets put on your computer every week. Real slick. Okay, and uh, oh, one one other thing is this... Um, because we're leaving, we're moving out of state at the end of November. Again, we'll be here till the end of November unless the creek rises. I, I don't. I anticipate uh, working right through November, and so uh, then we're going to move out state out of state. My wife and I are moving to Hawaii, as I mentioned last week. But uh, I'm going to do one more seminar, a six-week seminar. I've made it as absolutely affordable as I possibly can. And uh, we've put an announcement 
I begun to email it out to a few folks, but I thought it's best just to post it on the website. So uh, if not yet, I think it's probably already up, but certainly by later today. If you just go to the agelesswisdom.com on the initial splash page, right underneath the button that says home page will be a link for the special seminar, the final seminar that we're doing on six successive Sundays. Say that three times fast. Six successive Sundays. <laughs> and uh, it's going to be called Finding Yourself in Paradise. And again, a lot of, a, a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about today, emotional identity seminar, that's how I'm describing it. Find yourself through your intuition. You know, this is my segue into the topic today. We are not what we think of ourselves so much as we are what we care about. Now, you may even want to jot that down or make a mental note to ponder that or take that into conversation with somebody that you really care about and you really uh, respect. Hey, Benner was saying on the radio today that we are not what we think of ourselves so much as we are identity, emotional identity, what we care about. I mean, I could say you are what you love, but that word, love, has been so overused, misapplied, beat up, I I hesitate to even use it. So how about if I just say you are what you care about? This is largely what we'll talk about in the Finding Yourself in Paradise seminar that begins on September 23rd and runs through the end of October. Again, check out the website, The Ageless Wisdom, for more on that. Well, let's, let's talk about why does our mental intelligence fail us so often, especially when we want to understand ourselves, find an identity, and, um, and understand it, a true identity. I mean, at some point, a mature person understands that we write the story of our lives and then play a character role in the story, forgetting that we're really the playwright. And we go along in life playing this character role, often with a lot of people-pleasing, a lot of dependence upon other people to give us the positive emotions we're trying to earn through a performance to them. Will you love me if I do this for you? Will you respect me? Will you trust me? Most people grow old and die and have no other worldview but people-pleasing, destructive people-pleasing, again, wanting to please people, and nothing wrong with that. It, it's when we need to please other people that, <laughs> that we tend to betray ourselves. You know what I'm talking about. We need to remember that we're not merely the character role in the stories that we write. We are the author. And if I'm writing the story of my life, rather than simply playing some role in that story, I can remember, hey, I wrote this story, and I can revise it. I could write a new and improved version. But we forget that we wrote the story because we get so caught up in playing the character, Michael Benner, or whoever you may think you are. Again, motivated largely by this backward belief system that, My job is to please other people. Because if I honored my own needs 
and wants, well, that would be selfish, and gosh, I don't want to be selfish uh, or appear to be pompous or conceited, then nobody will love me. It's not selfish to put yourself first, unless putting yourself first is followed by selfish behavior. The most charitable and philanthropic people put themselves first. They just have a very expanded view of what is meant by self. They live in a you-and-me world rather than a you-or-me world. So it's a lot like the oxygen mask story that you've heard me tell. You get on the airplane, they always say before you take off, if these oxygen masks should fall, be sure, yeah, be sure to put yours on first before you start helping other people. That is not selfish. And the Ramana Maharshi quotation, the Indian mystic from the 19th century, who said, yeah, well, to avoid injuring your feet, you could cover the world with leather. It's just a lot easier to wear shoes. How much of us are trying to change the world so that we get better? It's sort of a risk. Uh, I mean, it's ridiculous on the surface, but it's like then I would be able to avoid the risk of personal growth. Uh, the risk of finding out I'm not up to it or that essentially I'm inadequate or not good enough. There's an old blues song that goes, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. It's like, well, we all want things to be better, but not if I have to change. I just want everything around me to to, to change and be better. And then I can benefit Without having to change a bit, I'll just keep being the same confused self, and I'll be better by fixing the world. Well, nice intention. It just doesn't work that way. We have to, the most politically subversive, socially subversive thing anybody can do is personal growth. Change yourself. Grow yourself. Educate yourself about the world, but also about the self, and then give that to the world. You want peace in the world? Create peace in your heart and give that to the world. It's risky. It's You're being a lot more responsible when you change the world from the inside out. When you accept that you're the author of your life and not just some character role that you've written and then conveniently forgot that you're the one that wrote it. So the problem with mental intelligence and this, I guess, is the second point I want to make here, is that the vast majority of what constitutes logic is deductive thinking. It's general to specific. There is such a thing as inductive logic, specific to general, but it's pretty rare. Most people don't know how to use it. It's extrapolation. Basically, it's, well, if this is true in the micro, it must be true in the bigger picture, and Often it's just a crutch and behind a lot of discrimination and bigotry and, well, you know, anecdotal evidence that the world is this way. You've got to be real careful of inductive logic. But deductive logic, well, everybody knows that. That's uh, balancing your checkbook. You got $500, you write $300 in checks, you got 200 left. You deduced, you deducted, you subtracted. You do the same thing when you order from a menu in a restaurant. You 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 think that you're looking for what you want, but you're not. 
<laughs> you're actually eliminating what you do not want to narrow down the field, and then you just sort of grab when you got it down to, to two or three things. That's the way logic works. That's algebra, right? You got this big formula, and, and you factor and deduce and winnie it down to uh, simple x equals whatever. And you plug that back in where the variable is, and voila, works. Pretty magical. That's the nature of deductive thinking. So when you think about yourself, you take yourself apart. You, you, be, you become, by the nature of logic, super critical of yourself. That's why we all, with very few exceptions, will forgive other people for their transgressions long before we would forgive ourselves for doing the same bad thing. Right? It's very weird. So we have two standards, really, of behavior. A reasonable standard for all of our friends. Ah, that's okay. Don't worry about it. And then a second, higher, unrealistic standard for me. Ah, I just can't shake it. I feel so guilty. I feel so stupid. I should have known. Well, maybe not. Cut yourself some slack. What's all of that about? It's about, I'm arguing, the deductive nature of logic, of deductive logic, of, of what we call reasoning, or be rational, or get real, or whatever. That means take it apart. So I'm going to argue that the mental nature is essentially objective and for understanding everything there is in the world except you. By comparing and contrasting, but because you are incomparable, there's really nobody to compare you to, at least in total. That we need another way of knowing and understanding things to figure out what makes us tick. To understand deeply why we do the things we do. And that's EQ. That's your emotional intelligence. We've been given two intelligences. Two ways of knowing and understanding things. And... Uh, we're at a, a, a stage of evolution where the vast majority of us in every culture around the world only know about the one, the logic, the reasoning. The... Now, emotional intelligence is growing. It's burgeoning. You know, thanks largely to the publications of Daniel Goleman at Harvard University writing about emotional intelligence and EQ at work and Others have jumped on and picked up the term. Esoteric philosophy has been full of this. The essence of wisdom is that it transcends simple knowledge. How does wisdom transcend knowledge? Well, it comes from an intimately personal source, a higher self, if you will, a deeper understanding that, that dawns on you and cannot be accessed through logic. And that's emotional intelligence as well. So it's existed in the mystical literature, the perennial philosophy, the ageless wisdom, if you will, of the ages. But uh, too arcane for most people to access. Well, uh, this is the end of war, see? If we get emotionally intelligent, if we become emotionally intelligent, or as we become more emotionally intelligent, we stop war in the world by learning to argue different. You stop the war at home by learning to argue differently with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents. 
and with your friends and others. You abandon the uh, reactionary, adversarial, either-or nature that the mind puts you into and learn to calm your emotions. This, frankly, is the allegory of Christ walking on water. It's never discussed. (laughs) I don't think I've ever heard Christians talking about why would Christ walk on water. Was he showing off? Like, hey, look what I can do. I don't think so. I I think that's a very rich allegory about refusing to be afraid about releasing fear and being calm. How do you float on your back in water? Say you're not ready to walk on water, you can float on your back in water, but only by deep relaxation and a refusal to carry fear as muscular tension. That's how you float on water. You have to be fearless. You have to trust that the water will support you, that your emotional nature supports you, that once calm... This doesn't work when your emotions are flaring, when you're upset or uh, hurt or angry or over the top. No, no, no. No emotional intelligence then. Choppy water you cannot see into. But when you calm the emotional nature and quiet the mind in meditation, contemplation, introspection, some sort of reflection, good word, You can see into the water. In fact, you can also see what's reflected from above you on the surface of the water. Once calm, you can not not only understand your emotional nature, see into the watery emotional nature, and understand what your feelings are telling you about who you are and why you feel the way you do and why you do the things you do out of emotions, with often out any kind, without any kind of thinking at all. Why would you do that? Well, I felt like it. Yeah, but did you ever think that? No, no, I never really did. I just, <laughs> I just reacted. Reflex. Well, that's fine if you're in great danger, but not a place to make important management decisions about your life. No, that's fine for lizards eating flies, but not managing your life. You have to breathe, relax, calm the emotional nature, quiet the mind, and then a quality of emotional intelligence becomes available. Feelings that are too subtle for you ever to experience, much less interpret or understand, because they are so subtle, because they're hidden by a frenetic mental nature or shouted down by loud, your loud or, or bright, uh, emotional nature. Only when you calm the emotion and quiet the mind, do you experience the still small voice, so to speak, of wisdom. And then, aha, not only do I begin to understand why I do the things I do, your motives, but your whole identity comes forward. And how do you expect your life to work? Unless or until you do that. If you're just playing a role. I, I, you know, I appreciate the sacrifice. I spent the vast majority of my life trying to get a sense of self from other people. 
by pleasing them. I would do it on the talk show, you know. I've, I've been doing talk radio since 1968. Commercially, yeah, well, campus radio before that, but commercially, 1968. I was like 19 or 20 years old. That's a lot of years. That's almost 40 years of doing talk radio. And at least half of that time, I was hell-bent on pleasing everybody in the audience. And what I came to find out was any attempt to please everybody, and I'm out of my integrity. I'm not telling the truth. I'm no good as a commentator because I'm telling you what I think you want to hear. That's why, that's why I had to leave commercial broadcasting 20 years ago. I couldn't do that anymore. I decided to hell with it. I used to beat people up on the radio. They'd call in. I mean, only right-wingers, you know. <laughs> only people promoting hatred and war and fear would I jump on. But, yeah, I used to do that. Even my first few years here at KPFK. First time Roy Tuckman interviewed me on his show here in KPFK. He said, why are you so mean to people? Because I thought that's, you know, that that's the way you did talk radio and that other people listening would be entertained by that and then they would like you. It's a show, right? Well, little by little, I, I, I realized, how about just risking telling the best truth you can tell? Just put it out there and some people will love it and some people will hate it. And some people will fall in between. And I thought, well, that's pretty scary. I don't know if I want to do that. But I did, and I have, and I'm getting better at it, and uh, I'm okay with it. I, I really prefer it. You have a clean, clear conscience. You get to sleep well at night and let the chips fall where they may. I have no control over what you or anybody else thinks of me. I have no control over what my wife thinks about me. I know. She, <laughs> she tells me from time to time. Instead, how about getting a sense of what you think about yourself, or more to the point, since we're talking about EQ, what you care about. That's where your identity is. Not, not really in what you think about yourself, and certainly not in what other people think about you. That's not where you're going to find yourself. Identity as well as motive is in your caring nature. So, if you're not driving a car or operating a heavy equipment, as they say, and you have the opportunity right now, you may want to jot down on a sheet of paper or get a crayon and write it on the wall. Some of the things that you care about, you'll find yourself in there. Later, you can reflect on just why you care about the things that you care about. You can reflect upon the evolution in your maturation, your growing up in life, of the types of things that you care about and how your priorities change. But do it from a feeling place rather than a mental place. That's the hit for the day today, okay? Because, again, real wisdom is found in the heart, not in the head. The head plays a role. It's the mental nature. It's your will that says, I'm going to calm my emotion and quiet my mind. So the mental nature always plays a role. It's sort of the chairman of the board of the mental, emotional, and physical nature. The mind, uh, uh, the mind is sort of the chairman of the board. 
but cannot extricate itself from feelings or behavior. None of the three stands alone. They're always hooked up. Change any one. Your mental, your emotional, or your physical nature, that is to say your thoughts, your feelings, or your behavior, and the other two will be affected. But you can use the mind to calm the heart, to quiet those emotional waters, to see into them then, to be supported by them, and to understand the truth of who you are as the author of your life, as the authority, not just some character that you've been playing to please other people. And you know what? If it worked, I'd say, fine, go ahead. I mean, if you were able to successfully please other people and then get from them what you're looking for, a little peace of mind, a little love, a little, you know, trust, a little bit of respect. If it worked, I'd say, go ahead, pander. (laughs) But it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Even if the people you're trying to please are committed to doing the same thing with you, so-called co-dependence, both parties, all parties, will end up feeling ripped off, unappreciated, taken for granted. Damn it, I do and do and do in this relationship. All I do is give, and what do I get back? And the other person, if they ever heard you say that, their jaw would hit the floor because they know they're the ones that do and do and give and give and never never get anything back. Gang, it's the process. We can't do identity for each other. We can't give each other love. You can't, you can stimulate love in other people, but that's their love. You can't, it's not, love is not a commodity you can hand over or do for someone. You see? It's like maybe the first rule of emotional intelligence that you're Feelings are yours. Emotional feelings are a response. So what do you think about this? Are you smarter than you think? That's the theme for the day today. Smarter than you think. Are you? Are you in touch with your EQ, your emotional intelligence? Are you willing to consider that there is profound identity and a deep understanding of your motives in what you care about? What's important to you emotionally? What do you care about? And, and and can you learn? Are you willing to learn to manage? I don't mean control or repress, but to to manage your emotional nature. Just like somebody learning to flow down their back in water. To let go, to keep letting go. To calm and quiet those waters. And see if they don't support you. That's where profound wisdom comes from. Those hits, those insights you're looking for. You'll never get it from a logical mind. It's too deductive. It's too critical. It, that's why it has your parents' voice. <laughs> logic so often sounds like mom and dad. It's just so critical. That's the nature of logic. What do you think? Give us a call, 818-985-5735. Emotional intelligence, our topic today. You are smarter than you think. Let's talk about it. Your questions at 818-985-5735, 985-KPFK. You'll talk to Brooks, and we'll put you on the radio right after this. You're listening to Inner Vision on KPFK. 
Let's go to the telephones here in just a few minutes and talk to the callers on this whole topic of emotional intelligence. I think one of the biggest breakthroughs for me in this whole field was understanding just how incredibly negative uh, logic is. You know, lots has been said and written in the personal development field about positive mental attitude or optimism. PMA. There's a funny commercial on television. I don't know if you watch any TV, but I don't even remember who it's for, but three people are riding this gondola up the side of a mountain, and the gondola stops like a crow lands on it, and everybody gets suspicious. And sure enough, the uh, the damn gondola going up the side of the mountain stops, and one guy starts spouting, ah, it's positive mental attitude. Just stay positive. We'll figure it out. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Sounds like Michael Benner on the radio, right? This other guy just looks around, finds an emergency power button, pushes it, and and, uh, the gondola begins to go up the mountain again. And the positive thinker takes all the credit for it, and the commercial says, no, no, it's it's action. That's what we need is more action in the world. Well, the problem with the commercial is both things are true, of course. We need to be calm, to be in touch with our emotional nature, to be reasonable mentally, and yeah, then take action. It's pretty much that order. You have a clear, specific mental thought, followed by a focused passion and a belief, and that creates action. What did Napoleon Hill call it? There's a great Napoleon Hill quote, if you can conceive it and believe it, you can achieve it. You want to say do-da-do-da after that, don't you? I love that. If you can conceive it, that's the mental nature, and believe it, that's the emotional nature, then you can achieve it. And that's the formula for creating form. The mental impacts the emotional, creates the physical. Most of us, we have a different polarity. We come out of emotion, take action, and then think about it afterwards. That's called rationalization. Like, oh, yeah, I really meant to do that. We got it backwards. Let's go to West L.A. And, Brett, we're talking about emotional intelligence on KPFK. It's Intervision. Hi, Brett. Hi. Hi. Nice to talk to you. I really enjoy your show. I'm a small-time business owner, small-time capitalist, if you will. And I... I just want to talk about my breakthroughs and stumbling blocks and, you know, developing my emotional intelligence, the, the conversation that you're bringing about here. And one of the things I'd like to understand is that, um, so I have a, a work crew, and I, like I said, I want to be a big-time big time capitalist. Um, and the amount of profit I get is based on how much, how much productivity I'm able to squeeze out of the, the workers I employ, you know, the, the variable labor and its relationship to the uh, variable capital, if you will, and the relationship to the fixed capital. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I understand that the reason why I'm the boss and they're the workers because I've been able to develop my intelligence and they're just peons. And, and um, <laughs> You don't really believe this, do you? Oh, sure I do. Sure I do. Oh, well, the then... reason why the... Poor, poor people don't have enough, enough emotional intelligence. Well, first and of all, 
you're going to have to really you're going to have to listen you're going to have to listen to me or I'll just dump you yeah we either have a conversation or you're gone so you want to listen no See, because I have emotional intelligence, and most of my audience has a modicum of emotional intelligence, we see that as a, this is a put-on a mile away. You couldn't be that foolish. So, nice parody of capitalism, but not a very convincing one. Well, that's the reason why the poor are poor, is because they don't have as much emotional no, that's intelligence. No, that's absolutely... Right? No, you're on the wrong radio station. You need to listen. Dump this guy. Dump this guy. No, you should go to Fox. You're in the wrong station. Look, if you wanted to say, yeah, I was just goofing you, and then have a conversation, I'd let you stay on. So let me assume that there is somebody listening who thinks that that is a healthy worldview. Um, first of all, squeezing productivity out of people if you're making lemonade, squeeze the lemon. But if you're motivating people in a work environment, uh, in a school setting, or trying to motivate your children or yourself, or your partners or your parents, <laughs> for that matter, they have to be seen as stakeholders. And the sarcastic, facetious caller here probably... Um, I don't know, I can't speak for him other than his sarcasm, but lots of people don't recognize that one of the failures of capitalism is its unwillingness to promote in the worker a sense of being a stakeholder and creating what, gosh, it's sort of a trite term to use, but the win-win situation uh, given that it's a bit overused. Nevertheless, it's a good way of, of, of substituting and for or. It's not either the owner wins at the expense of the working class or the workers rise up and seize the means of production and off the capitalist pig. You can have or could have, we have had in the past, a free enterprise system where an entrepreneur created a relationship with his or her workers in which they were true stakeholders. And I don't mean stockholder. <laughs> I mean stakeholder. And that's the best way to motivate people. Not face-to-face, -face, but side-by-side, -side, walking together, working together with a common goal and a common vision. That either-or thinking that's so popular in, in uh, capitalism and in communism, at least as practiced. I don't mean utopian communism, which is a beautiful thing. Utopian socialism and such, but as practiced by, by dictators and tyrants, is the false dichotomy of you or me. Boy, any time <laughs> you find yourself dancing around that you or me thing, you're an extremist. And there's no truth in the uh, extremes. It's like the end zones of a football field. Hey, they're out of bounds. You, you can't play the game in the end zone. The playing field is in between the extremes. What the Buddhist calls the third way, the middle way. Let's go to Pasadena. It's emotional intelligence we're talking about. Is it Lang? You're on KPFK with Michael Benner. Yes, hi, Michael. 
Thank you for taking my call. Is that your name, Lang? Yes. I like it. What's your question or comment for me today? Um, well, uh, first of all, thanks again for your program and your wisdom, and I agree with you. Uh, I think uh, um, that that is the way um, the future hopefully will be, you know, where, where uh, we're going to leave these old ways of thinking and be more caring and more kind to one another and uh, realize that if someone is not doing well, we're not doing well. And my question is, um, I ever since I can remember, I've always been looking for that peace within, for that serenity within. And I find myself sometimes having it, but I'm still looking for it. Do you think that once, is there such a thing as finding inner peace, inner serenity, and have it with us all the time, or does it come and go? Because that's, that's what it seems. And like, yeah, it does come and go. It's yeah. a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's constant work. It does come and go. In fact, I always suggest that we be very leery of so-called gurus who pretend that they don't have hard days, difficult days, or gurus that claim... Uh, or even just refuse to speak about their own melancholia and uh, sadness and grief. Uh, it's nonsense. A real guru, a, a real mystic, somebody who's really plugged in is a woman or a man who knows the ebb and flow, the uh, heights of ecstasy, epiphany, uh, bliss, uh, but also the dark nights of the soul, the sadness, the grief. Uh, no matter how enlightened you are, if someone that you love dies, um, that hurts. And wisdom, the wisdom teachings of people all around the world from the most ancient times, as well as modern psychology, says move into the hurt, not away from it. Move into the hurt. You cannot heal what you cannot feel or refuse to feel. So... Um, the same thing with fear in general. We've got to face our fear, move directly at our fear, and risk being who we really are based on how we feel less than what we think. So, yeah, there's no question that, that there's an ebb and a flow. And if you have that inner peace at times, um, you know, congratulate yourself. Let me say this to you. I'm going to argue that of the two kinds of feelings, so-called positive feelings versus so-called negative feelings, that positive feelings, love-based feelings, represent things that you already know to be true about yourself. Happiness, joy, the peace that you're talking about, kindness, generosity, tolerance, uh, gratitude, compassion, forgiveness. These are all reflections of or, or functions of knowing who you are. I'll even say responses that result from knowing who you are. Everything that hurts or upsets us, so-called negative feelings, is fear-based and represents what we do not know about the self. So the only way to transmute or uplift 
or to borrow a word from religion that's misunderstood, save or redeem salvation? That's not just for a lifetime. That's for all of our problems and all of our heartaches and all of our hurts. Redeem them, transmute them, uplift them by understanding them. (laughs) If it's fear, it's ignorance. If it's love, it's understanding. How do we change the negative to the positive? How do we uplift what hurts us? To what feels good, face it and understand it. It's that simple. Psych 101. Yeah, but when you say basic and un- basic understanding, that's easier said than done. Yes, because we use the intellectual, mental, judgmental, critical nature to try to understand ourselves when mentality is objective and meant for everything but you. If instead... We access the wisdom of the heart, which is subjective and emotional feelings, when calm, reveal the essence of subjectivity. That is to say you are what you care about in those calm states of mind. That's the self. Use the wisdom, not the intellect. Know thyself requires an open heart more than an open mind. Reflect on it. If if it was that easy, maybe we could get by with just one incarnation. Uh, I think it is difficult. It is difficult, and these are very difficult times. They sure are. Yeah. So. But at the same time, uh, um, you know, very very um, important times because they are loaded with possibilities. Yes. We we can change. Yes. Great opportunity, India. Yes, I agree. Thanks for your call. Thank you, and uh-huh. I'm so sorry to see you go, even though you're going to Hawaii. Well, thank you, and we'll still have a podcast, so that's why I want everybody to get on the free podcast, because we're going to continue to do that. In fact, in a whole new iteration, we're going to include meditation exercises that we can't broadcast, but we can netcast. So your program won't be on the air anymore, then? Uh, at this point, it doesn't look like it. There's some sort of policy about me not doing the show remote, but we'll see. My point is we've always got the, the, this is a means of getting the program out into the world, but it's not the only means. We have the internet now. And with the netcast, they call them podcasts, but with the netcast, we can put it right on your computer. You don't have to go to some site and download every week. We'll just put it right on there for you. So that's Yeah, and if it's confusing, too, you just find a teenager someplace. Okay. All right. right. Thanks for calling. Lake Forest in uh, beautiful Orange County. Jim, you're on KPFK with Michael Benner. Hello. Hi, Michael. It's so good to talk to you. Thanks for calling. Hey, you know, you're talking about um, conceiving, believing, and then achieving something. And, you know, where I get stuck is kind of moving from that that point of conceiving something and really believing, I mean, really believing that I can do something or, you know, um, it, I just find that, that sometimes, you know, in those, in those quiet times, I have all kinds of emotional stuff that says, no, you really can't do that. Who do you think you're kidding? Or, you know, sort of, I mean, how do you really make yourself believe something when you have all sorts of stuff? You don't even recognize that says no. That doesn't. That's not what you believe. It does the same way you learn to play a musical instrument or 
um, become proficient in some sport, you practice. Did you see uh, Time Magazine last week to cover a time? No. It's a story about Mother Teresa having doubt. And, of course, uh, the pin brains on uh, the right-wing talk shows, oh, Mother Teresa was a phony. She had doubt. All people of faith have doubt. Yeah, You'd yeah. be a fool not to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is Bill's, Bill Maher's point as one of America's best-known atheists. Uh, he thinks anybody that's spiritually inclined is a moron <laughs> because they refuse to be skeptical. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, people of real faith are skeptical. Yeah. Smart people are skeptical, but they're also willing to practice. And there is in us, each of us, a conscience mm-hmm. that knows right from wrong, that knows what you're capable of and what you're not capable of. But the mental nature jumps in on top of the conscience and starts to argue that it knows better than those deeper feelings. Right. Trust that conscience and practice. You can use visualization. Um, you can, again, in, in states of, of quiet contemplation, pretend, act as if. An affirmation I use is the feeling you're making it up is exactly right. That, as my friend Steve Snyder always used to say, before you tend to do anything, you have to pretend. You fake it till you make it. And not need the mental and emotional nature to be absolutely pure and devoid of wonder and, and doubt. Think of doubt as wonder. And how could your life be wonderful if you're not full of wonder? <laughs> so, so stay skeptical. Continue to question Every radio guy you hear, every so-called authority, every mystic, every guru, Buddha said, trust nothing, not your holy books, not your preachers, not your teachers. Don't believe anything that doesn't ring true in your heart. And again, the the more you meditate, contemplate, and reflect in these altered states, the more in touch you'll be with that heart, that wisdom. I appreciate that, and, and I, but I, I got to tell you that of, of all the people that I do hear on the radio, you really do ring true. I well, mean, thanks. I, I really think that that you're you're authentic, and I'm I'm going to stay with your podcast, but I'm going to miss you on the radio. Well, we're I can't tell you all that's involved in this transition for me sure. because I'm approaching a significant birthday, a significant milestone in my career. And I don't feel like the end of November, if, if as planned, we transition from broadcast to broadband, that it's the end of anything. I see it as a beginning of a whole new chapter in my life. And, and the most, without, without any hesitation, the most exciting programs lie ahead. Because we'll be able to incorporate the exercise that we can't do on the radio. I can't do visualization and meditation on the radio because people in their cars, uh, they won't fall into a trance, but it would slow their reaction time. And so it's basically illegal or certainly against the, the codes of broadcasters to do meditation. But if we netcast it, we can. That's the cool thing. So. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Me too. 
Well, I hear the strains of the closing theme, so I guess I'll edge on out of here. Again, worry not. We're going to be here through November with some of the best programming you've ever heard. And uh, if you want more information on the seminar we just touched on today, the idea of emotional literacy, of finding the true self and the higher self, six weeks, six Sundays in Glendale at the Red Cross, and I cut the tuition way back and made it as absolutely affordable as we could. Uh, just leave me a, a message at either of my phone numbers, 818-569-3017. You know that one. And a special one we've set up for the class, 818-973-3154. 973-3154 and 818. Either of those. And you can visit theagelesswisdom.com. And you'll see a link right there on the splash page for the final seminar, the last of <laughs> last chance uh, to study with me in Southern California. Anyway, otherwise you got to fly to Hawaii, and uh, that may be in the works too. But I got to get out of here at the end of November, and Doreen and I are really excited about it. And the new technology makes it all possible. So anyway, thank you for listening today, and thanks to D'Angelo for engineering, to Brooks for producing the program, my wife Doreen for all of her invaluable assistance and to each of you for listening and calling, be gentle, love life and take care of each other, this is Michael Benner You've been listening to Intervision on Radio Powered by the People, KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles 98.7 FM Santa Barbara and you can